over Easter. 1 Timothy chapter 4, we're going to look at the first 10 verses this morning. Um, and just a, a bit of context, uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, the apostle writing to Timothy says, I'm giving you this stuff, I want, to be, I want to see you in person, but I'm writing it down. And it's a great thing that we have it written down, because all the churches get to share in it for generations afterwards. I'm writing it down, and he says, but it, it's for, it, it's so that you may know how to behave. And so then after he gets it, you may know how to behave, he immediately goes into, this is the person and character of those that you lay hands on. And so uh, in the church for centuries, when someone is put into a position of leadership, and I, I see this on Facebook all the time because I get all these PCA pastors, uh, the, the man would, would get on his knee and the brothers would come around and they put their hands on him. And it was a, a setting apart. It was saying, we believe and we entrust that God and the Holy Spirit has confirmed among the church, among yourself, among your wife, um, that this is the right role. And, uh, and there's great warnings with that. Um, and, and so he, he says, I want you to know how to behave. I want you, Timothy, to not leave Ephesus until you have appropriate leaders in place. And this is what those appropriate leaders' character should look like. Here's what they should know. Here's how their families should operate. And here's what they should believe. Now we get the reason why it's so important. Now we get the reason. Why is he so strict? Why is leadership in the church different than leadership anywhere else? And one of the key words that he'll say here is, you're a good servant. I love that. And it's an important part. And we'll talk about it in a minute but you're a good servant. And so the ideas that we get in the world of leadership and who leads, uh, in the world we think the person who leads is the one who is the smartest, the best, and the strongest. And, 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 and because of that, we want to be leaders. We want our kids to be leaders, and there's nothing wrong with that. We, we definitely want them to lead in righteousness and right ways. Uh, in the church, the leader is the one that is to serve. And so we talked about that. The character is more important than their charisma. But we get the sense now of why it's important who is ordained for these offices. Uh, I titled the sermon Spiritual Direction, and I think it's an important concept that we think about. Who directs me spiritually? Human beings by nature are spiritual beings. And so you might invite someone to Easter service, and they may say, well, I'm spiritual, but not religious. I'm spiritual, but not religious. I'm like, actually, you might be religious, but not spiritual. Um, but, but we see ourselves, right? We get, our body is connected to our soul, right? When I knew I needed to marry Tammy is when we had a big fight and I couldn't eat. Like, I feel sick. Something in my spirit is wrong. Well, I better marry this girl because I'll never be able to enjoy food again. Well, there was more reasons than that. But there's that sense that it's all connected, right? And we, we feel certain ways. Our, our body reacts through spiritual truths. Uh, who is our spiritual direction? I was going to title it the Holy Spirit versus the doctrine of demons. But I just thought that sounded a little too wacky for us. But it's kind of what's going on here. The apostle is saying, beware. So we ended last week with this creedal statement. Uh, 1 Timothy 3.16 he says to them, great we confess. And so it's, it's, through Timothy we have these statements, these trustworthy sayings. And, and this is right at the center of the book. He says, great we confess is this mystery of godliness. And then he gives us Christology 101. This is what we believe about Jesus the Christ. 
He was manifested in the flesh. Right? We just had that in our catechism. The, the God of spirit and purity was manifested in the flesh. He was vindicated by the spirit. He was seen by angels. He was proclaimed among the nations. He was believed on in the world and he was taken up in glory. This is a truth, Timothy, that those who are ordained to office must hold to, must teach. Everything has to flow out of that. So when we come to chapter 4, to the beginning of chapter 5, he is uh, going to talk about leadership and compare in some ways godly leadership with worldly leadership. The two types of teachers. Probably the, the, the kernel statement of truth here is godliness is of value in every way. And so as I read this text, he'll say this is a trustworthy saying, and that's the trustworthy saying. Again, that's one of those creedal statements. Godliness is of value in every way. And I'll confess to you, even as a pastor, I don't think about that in the morning. I don't get up and think... My path today, will it train me in godliness? I open up my Bible, I read my Bible, I learn things, and I want to be a better pastor and a nicer husband and all of those things. But, but thinking about, uh, as, I, as I discipline my life, my business, my family, um, is it a pursuit of godliness? And that's what he's going to say, that it's important for you, Timothy, as a leader and those you ordain, that they value godliness um, in our culture, some have said that Christians are abandoning the faith maybe in record numbers. And it's quite possible that may be happening in the United States. Um, it's not happening in other places. In other places, it's growing by leaps and bounds. Um, but when people abandon their faith, they don't just go to nothing. We understand that. They don't just move from, I was a Christian and now I'm a nothing. They, they believe something else. Something else takes that place. And so um, we're going to talk about that this morning because that's really the warning that he gets um, on false teachers. So uh, the quote this morning from R.C. Sproul, talking about the power of the Spirit with the Word. Have that in mind as we read these first ten verses of chapter 4. Please stand. For the reading of God's word. <coughs> now the Spirit expressly says, all right, so think of those first four words, the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. What is, what is the apostle saying? The Spirit of God speaks through the Word of God. Now, I know it might seem, why is he making a big deal of this? I've been at places, <laughs> I did these youth camps, mission trips, and we'd have one church and our church and some other church, and one time we're leading the service, and this other church, these kids just start singing other songs. Like in the midst of the set that everybody had prepared. And I'm like, hey, what are you guys doing? And I said, oh, well, we just decided that we would let the Spirit lead. I'm like, we did too when we were planning this. <laughs> I'm like, I don't think the Spirit is leading you to disrupt things and make things differently. The, the Word of God and the Spirit went into the planning of the service, and we believe that He's working in and through. Now the Spirit expressly says... So he's talking about the Holy Spirit and the Word of God together. Expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good. And nothing is to be rejected if it was received with thanksgiving. 
for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. If you put these things before the brothers, you'll be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive because we have our hopes set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our God will stand forever. You may be seated. Timothy, it's important that we have the right leaders and we have the right doctrine. Why? Because some will abandon the truth. Some will abandon the truth. And we know that uh, so far in our study of Timothy, that the truth, that phrase, with the definite article, the truth, he is referring to the doctrines of Christianity to the basic trustworthy sayings of Christianity. And he is saying, Timothy, uh, the Spirit says, through Christ who prophesied this, um, that, that in those latter days, people will abandon the faith. So in, in, in light of that, Timothy, in light of the latter days, people abandoning the faith, it is absolutely important that our spiritual direction comes from the right place and the right people. Some will abandon the truth in the latter days. You know, we got Senior Sunday coming up, and any parent that has had a senior in high school go off to college, any, any Christian parent who has had a senior in high school go off to college wonders what's going to happen with their faith. Stephen Garber wrote a book called The Fabric of Faithfulness. I forget who he wrote it with, maybe Oz Guinness. It is a great book. It's a great book for seniors to read before they go off to college. But it was basically a study of college students who maintained and grew their faith through college and those who jettisoned their faith through college. Uh, if you've seen it happen, it is horrific. I've been a pastor long enough to see that. I have seen people abandon the faith. And, and, and we thought things were great. We thought things were right. We saw this positive fruit, it seemed. We, we've talked about this when we studied Hebrews, but but people who reject their faith and their, their, their life unravels. Um, and so he's like, Timothy, uh, you're in charge of this church. You're the bishop, you're the leader, you're the pastor of this church. Um, make sure when you ordain those officers that they teach and preach what is right because we're in the latter days, all right? Um, and so if you, when, when you hear that term and you think, oh, no, Kuiper thinks he's figured out when the second coming is. He's got a date. Um, I, I remember um, I went to, a, went to a conference in 1976, a youth conference, and the teacher there, she told us, um, I think it was 75 I went to it. She told us that Jesus was coming back in 1976, and she had a certain date when it was going to happen, and I was terrified. I was so terrified that I got on a payphone. Some of you don't know what those are, but they're gross, vile petri dishes that you used to pick up and put your mouth on uh, back when we were tougher as human beings. Uh, and, and I called my mom on a collect call, and I'm crying, and I'm bawling. And I'm like, Mom, 
I was the one that smoked in the bathroom last year. <laughs> it's like, I, I know. I'm like, what? <laughs> it's just been bothering my conscience. And I'm, I'm at camp and I'm like, Jesus is going to come in six months. And, and I'm like, I, I got to get right. I got to let my mom know I was the kid. I lied about it to her face. I lied about it. And she's like, I, I know, son. I'm like, oh, that woman. You know, we believe she had a red phone. Whenever he did wrong, she would go upstairs and the phone would ring and it would be Jesus telling her, Mark did this, Mark said that. I'm like, okay, I'll go take care of it. Um, but there was that, that, that sense that the last days meant you better straighten up. Now, again, there, there, are, there are certain forms of Christianity where the, the, the person's salvation depends kind of on them making the right choice and weighing all these things in. And, and, and many times a preacher will emotionally push a person uh, to say a prayer as if that it's, it's this, uh, this magic spell that once I say it, I, I'm, I'm good to go. Um, but this, this pressure that we're in the last days. And so just so you know, the last days may last another thousand years. The last days in the Bible mean everything necessary for the salvation of God's people, of his elect people that he chose before the world was created. Everything has been done necessary to save them. We don't wait for another Savior. We don't wait for another day of Pentecost. Uh, we are in these last days, however long it is. It's a, it's a season. And, and we are to live in the last days as if Christ was going to return tomorrow. We are to keep short accounts with each other. When we go on sabbatical, if you have anything against us, get it over with. Get it out. Let's, let's make peace. Right? We're going we're gonna to get in the car. We're going to drive off. We love you. We'll probably break all the rules and contact you. But... Um, Keep a short account. You know, you know, Madison lives with us, and oftentimes I go, and I'm like, now if we die, and she goes, don't say that. Stop saying that. I'm like, okay, I shouldn't say it, but I just want you to know, if we die, go to Bo's house. <laughs> Sorry. If he's not there, you can run over to the Sheffields and Matthews. I'm like, Chismars will take you in. You probably have to babysit for free. I'm like, you know, she's like, don't say that. I'm like, but I want things to be right before that day. And so he says, Timothy, the church planted in Ephesus, exists during the last days. And one thing our Savior told us is that during the last days, there will be many who come and, and tempt the believers. There will be many who fall away. And I've said this before, every letter to every church in the New Testament warns about false teachers. And so I might have been harping on it, but it's only because it's in the Word. And the Word says that over and over again. Beware. And I feel like in the U.S. we've gotten into this theological sweetness that we're so afraid to say what they're teaching is wrong. We're, we're afraid of it, like we're going to be mean or self-righteous, we're proud or we're arrogant. What the Scriptures teach is clear. Our sermon sentence this morning is, since we're living in these last days... We must train ourselves in godliness. Now, even when we think about why someone would abandon the faith or what that looks like, I think it's important for each of you to think about if you've had a conversion experience. Uh, some of us haven't had conversion experiences. Some of us, like me, we, we grew up always knowing Jesus. Now, there, there, there was definitely a day and a time 
when it made sense to me, and I'm like, I, I, I of my own will said, I'm going to, Father, I, I'm going to, I am going to submit to you. But it wasn't like there was a day where I didn't know he existed. You know what I mean? So there wasn't like this experience, an unfolding of, of, of understanding. Um, but some people convert to Christianity because they're afraid of hellfire. And so they hear a message about the damnation of the evil ones. They hear Jonathan Edwards, sinners in the hand of an angry God, that we are spiders hanging over a fire. And they're like, what do I need to say? What do I need to do? Do I have to write a check? I'll do it just to be sure. I've actually heard people, preachers say that. Why not give your life to him just in case? I'm like, that, that's not how it works. <laughs> it's not I'm going to try to sign my name to a document and, and then think, I don't really believe or know what I'm doing, but maybe this is going to work, right? Uh, some become Christians because they think it's the easiest road to happiness. Um, you know, if you want to be healed of all your diseases, come to Christ. Um, I urge you, if you have given your life to Christ, to do it because it's true. Because he is God Almighty. And it is true. And if he says, uh, come to me, and your path is going to be a path of suffering, it's absolutely worth it because it's true. Um, why do people not choose Jesus? I'm going to say, like, I'm not going to choose Jesus um, because uh, the Christian life is just whew, too restrictive. Some come to Christ and they think, I've come to Christ because it's going to be easy. I'm going to have blessings. Um, and and, and the, the reason that you would identify as a Christian is super important. So even before we talk about abandoning the faith, to know what that means. Christian faith means, quite simply, I submit everything in my life to God the Father Almighty. What he says is right is right. What he says is true is true. What he says I should do, I should do. What he says I should believe, I should believe. When he sent his son as a ransom for my life, when, his, when he died on the cross and bore my sins and said, if you believe, if you trust in me, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father through me. I am to believe that. That's what the Christian faith is at its core. A surrender to God Almighty. His rule, his way, his, his desires and uh, our affections move towards him. Um, so, in, in the text, the first point, uh, the, the root causes of error. Uh, the root causes of error. So in the first two verses, um, he says, beware because some will abandon the faith. Uh, in verse 1 and 2, as I'll depart from the faith, he says, They devote themselves to deceitful spirits and the teaching of demons, through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. The root cause of error, it seems pretty straightforward. False teachers had infiltrated their ranks and would continue to infiltrate their ranks. Um, and, and, and these false teachers would draw them away by offering false truths, alternative truths. Um, and so that's the root cause. Now, in your outline, I have these three uh, or four uh, root causes. The first is demonic. And again, I, I think um, we as Christians, as intellectuals, 
we kind of downplay the spiritual side of dark forces. And maybe it's because it seems that those Christians that talk about demons and angels and spirits are weird, and we don't want to be what, like in that weird group of Christians um, that you know, cast out demons from a, a car parking spot. Right? We're, we're not those kind of, so we, we maybe swing the, the pendulum way too far. Uh, Paul is telling Timothy, demonic spirits are active. And when I, when I marry a couple together, I, I look at them and I say, do you realize that just about everything in this world is going to fight against you two staying together? If you're a Christian marriage, it, it, everything is going to fight against that. Do you, do you realize that? When you become a Christian, I tell people, you, you come to Christ, do you realize now that, that your, your friend, the evil one that has been giving you uh, pleasure and assurance that all is okay, that he is going to be after you? He's going to try to make your life miserable. Read the book of Job. He is, he is God's devil in the sense that he has no power apart from what God allows him to do in our life. But, but you would be at war. Um, and he says here they're demonic. They are demonic forces. Uh, and, and they are teaching things. Um, they are very active. They are ruthless uh, they patiently sow seeds of deception and deceit. Their goal is to get you to doubt who God is, what he promises. Uh, you get in this text an allusion to the Garden of Eden, right? The Satan comes in the form of a serpent, and he speaks to Eve as though he were her friend and says... What do you see? What, what, why can't you eat from this? Right? That, that's, his action. that's how he always operates. To the mind of a human being, God is holding something back from you that is wonderful and good, and he is not a good father. He is not a good provider. He is not to be trusted. He is withholding something from you. Eve, trust what you see. Doesn't it look good? Do you realize that this will make you wiser? The exact same operations go on against the people of God today. It's not today, though, so much what you see, but what you feel. So for many human beings, your feelings have become your Bible. When you think about that, your feelings have become your Bible. And you've been told at times, you can't betray what you feel. And I betray what I feel all the time. I get on the bike and I ride through Grove and some joker with a dually with diesel goes by me and, you know, clouds me up there. You know what I feel like doing? Yeah, yeah, taking my hands off the handlebars for a minute. Right? We'd, we'd, we're told, though, that to go against your feelings is damaging. We have to discipline our feelings. Um, think about Jesus with the devil. He takes him up to the pinnacle of the temple. He says, I'm going to offer you an easier way than the cross. You won't have to die. We downplay spiritual warfare. And I would say it's probably the greatest threat that our church has. The evil one deceiving us. And so uh, the, the attack comes from demonic forces and one of the greatest weapons is for us to not know that or to us not to think that. Um, to just, I mean, 
it, it's this infiltration, right? Putin puts all these troops, and it's like, hey, you're going to invade Ukraine. No, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not. I'm just doing exercises here. Oh, well, it sure looks like you're going to... No, I'm not going to do that, right? I mean, it, it, it's deception, uh, and the greatest ploy of the evil one is for us to think he doesn't exist, and he's not out there wanting to destroy your life. The second part is uh, the, what I put in there in the notes, humanistic. It says, through the insincerity of liars, literally hypocritical liars. Uh, it is a terrible name to be called. Uh, it means you have deliberate pretense and you deliberately tell untruths. Uh, a horrible name to be called. So the demonic forces speak this truth which is subversive to Christianity. Uh, and, and then it, it, it comes through the mouths of what he says are these insincere liars. He's already mentioned Hymenaeus and Alexander. Let me tell you how it works today. Um, the insincere liars or the demonic theology, their tactic is to promote a, a certain type of religious truth that brings peace to competing beliefs, all right? So uh, just, it, it may not be entirely wrong, may not be entirely unorthodox, but, but if we hold on to this truth, oh, this battle that we have between these two sides will be done. Uh, they promote a blessing without suffering. They promote a grace without truth. They promote adoption without repentance. They give us a truth or an interpretation that's much easier to accept. A truth that, if we hold, requires less conviction. A compromise that seems not so to put it in the danger zone. Um, that, that's how it comes. Check the lives and the doctrine of those who you follow. What we would call the influencers. Uh, the next part of their ploy, I, I put in your notes, it's moralistic. Um, there is this cause that comes out to loosen our morals. Uh, and I would say, I, I hate the fact that some have taken the grace of God to make allowance for more and deeper sinning. We don't even call sin sin anymore. It's usually a mistake or an accident. Um, this always is brought about as a enemy to the gospel such that Paul says people have said we can tell you to go on sinning that grace would increase he said, absolutely not he said this has happened because their consciences have been seared so that's been another catchword in Timothy hasn't it uh, faithfulness with a clear conscience he says now these teachers their conscience has been seared uh, cauterized is probably a better translation uh, to cauterize a wound or to make it less sensitive is the way he's saying. So my son DeAndre would have these nosebleeds and they stuck a hot poker up his nose to cauterize, to make it less sensitive to things. And I want to tell you, Christian, that that's how the enemy works. Over years and years and years and years and years, slowly cauterizing your conscience. You're not so outraged anymore by something that might have outraged you five years ago. You allow yourself to feel comfortable in circles and situations that you wouldn't have felt comfortable in circles and situations five, ten years ago. 
And we find ourselves then we're shocked at the behavior of people. And we think, how did they do this? Where's their empathy? Where's their humanity? Their conscience have been seared. You know, I've lost two family members. I lost my father recently and my sister about seven years ago. And one of the sweetest things for me was to be at their deathbed and to hear them say, I'm at peace with God. I'm at peace with man. It was not, they weren't at peace because their consciences were seared, for they felt their sin. Uh, my sister especially, I just remember her going to each child before this big surgery and just saying, uh, you know, is there anything that I need to f- ask your forgiveness for? Um, and, how, and how beautiful was that? These, their, their consciences have been seared. Things don't bother them. Um, and we're often shocked at their behavior. But these false teachers, here's what's happened. You've turned a deaf ear to a working conscience. It's become cauterized, and then they have become these hypocritical liars. And I'm going to stop here. We'll finish this up next week. But I want you to think about this. Uh, In reference to these two warnings, has your conscience been cauterized? Um, Have you knowingly and willingly, as a Christian, have you suppressed when the Holy Spirit convicts you about things? You know, when we come to the Lord's table, we say every week, if you're holding something against your brother and sister, don't take. And part of that is is us saying, Holy Spirit, work in the conscience of your people. For what we show here, what we represent here publicly is that we're around one piece of bread, one, one loaf, one cup. We're sharing it. We are united when we're really not united. Um, have you suppressed the Spirit when it pricks your conscience? Have you put uh, yourself with people of lesser conscience? Because it's just so much easier to be with them and you don't feel guilt. Um, and so this is, that, this is how it happens. A demonic uh, thought or subversive theological statements about God. And it's ubiquitous in the United States. Right? The most common thought of just about any human being in the United States is that God loves everybody, and if you try to be a good person, he's going to work it all out, and you'll see him at the end. You know, Grandpa died. He's, he's with Jesus. Everybody's with Jesus. He's there with our dog and our goldfish. And, um, you know, when I do new member interviews and I, and I have any sense of that, I always ask them, excuse me, but why did Jesus have to die uh, if, if it's not a big deal? Um, so how have your conscience been seared? How have you suppressed the Holy Spirit? And have you put yourself in this uh, circumstance so it's a demonic, it's, it's humanistic, and it's moralistic. Um, yeah, we're going to pick up a verse 3 next week. Next week we'll look at the theological test. So this morning was really, I didn't mean to go so long. Um, but if you can't tell, I feel passionate about this. One of the worst things to see as a believer is someone slip away. It, it's worse than someone never knowing the Lord. It's horrific. And um, we must beware that the enemy wants to do that desperately to every believer. Let's pray. Father, will you hold us close to your side? Holy Spirit, will you prick our conscience? When we go down a path that is not right or true, and though it may seem easy, though it may seem peaceful, 
Will you keep us close to your truth? Father, we thank you that you have given us clear statements in your word of what is right and what is true. I pray especially this morning for our officers. Pray for Bo Byers and his family. Lord, when a man takes the mantle of leadership, he and his family come under attack right away. Your word has said, if you strike the shepherd, then the flock will, will flee. And so we pray, Lord, for our brother Bo, Vanessa, and the kids, Father, you hold them close to yourself. We pray for Jake and Donna and Elliot. Thank you for their service to us, their willingness to serve. As it affects not just the man who was called, but his whole family, will you bless and protect them? Will you make them thrive, Lord? Will their consciences be clear before you? And not because they're seared, but because, Father, you, the Holy Spirit, is active in them. Pray for Jim and Kathy. We thank you for bringing them as deacons to our church. And we pray, Lord, a blessing upon them, even as their lives, especially this last year, full of trial and suffering. May they hold firm to the trustworthy sayings of your gospel. Ricky and Ashley and those three boys, we pray the same. Oh, Father, he took on a mantle of leadership in the midst of great suffering and pain. Will you sustain him? And for all of us, Father, who call your name, will you, Lord, keep us close to your side? Those who would teach, hold us up to that standard, Father, that we may never utter anything that is untrue, anything that might lead your sheep away. And now, Father, as we take this sacrament, the gospel in bread and wine, how wonderful and how powerful the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. The Son of Man didn't come for the healthy, but for those who are in need of a doctor. He didn't come for the sinless, but the sinner to call them to repentance. And so may we revel in this as we eat this bread, that we are not right. We can't trust our feelings we can trust Christ. You have said it is sufficient what he has done, that he is your son, and in him you are well pleased. And the voice that vindicated him through the Spirit said, this is my son. That we would, Father, believe. We drink the cup. We would trust that his blood has flowed in our place no matter how awful our sins have been even this past week, that his blood is truly sufficient, that when the evil one would speak, it's not enough, he would never have you. That we would point to that blood and say, there is nothing more precious that has ever been created, that has ever been given, that has ever been shed. There is nothing more precious than the blood of my Savior. And at that cost and that cost alone, my soul has been redeemed. May we hold to that. Oh, Holy Spirit, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.